sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. Here's the old This is going to be a tough play. going on Cubs fans I am Sean Sears and you're listening to Lockdown Cubs part of the Lockdown Network your team every day on today's episode we bring on the Lockdown White Sox crew to kind of recap this series against the White Sox as the Cubs drop two or three against the Southsiders as uh, the White Sox have some bats particularly Jose Abreu who smashed three home runs alone on Saturday uh, but the Cubs were annihilated Friday uh, as John Lester just could not make it work against this White Sox lineup that's really good against hitting left-handed pitching. Um, we knew some regression was probably coming for John Lester, but uh, I don't think we expected him to allow eight runs in just four innings. Um, so that was rough, but uh, Friday's game, not so great. Saturday, pretty good game up until the end, and as Kyle Hendricks, he had the Cubs a real chance to win, and then Sunday, you Darvish was able to get the Cubs their lone win and end the White Sox win streak at seven straight games. But we talked with Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill of Lockdown White Sox along with Ryan Davis joining on with us as well. Just kind of recap the series, talk about where we think the White Sox are going, where the Cubs are going, get their take on what they saw from the Cubs and what they liked. We share some of our thoughts on the White Sox. It's a fun conversation. Make sure you follow Herb Lawrence on Twitter at I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry, Herb, but it's it's E-C-N-E-R-W-A-L two three on twitter and then you can follow chris Tannehill on twitter at chris Tannehill. then make sure you're following on the lockdown white Sox pod at lockdown white Sox. but before we jump to that interview make sure you head to cubsinsider.com official partner of lockdown cubs as they've got an article about the lack of production from javier Baez and other stars and how that's weighing down the cubs we talk about that a lot on this podcast with these guys here a little bit just because the Cubs have been able to be successful despite guys like Javi Baez and obviously Chris Bryant being hurt and Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber, those guys having some big moments but not being able to find consistency. Read about that and more at CubsInsider.com, official partner of Lockdown Cubs. And then make sure you're following us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. And make sure you check out the other Chicago sister stations, Lockdown Bulls, talking about the Bulls getting that fourth overall pick, Blackhawks getting... Uh, a decent look into what the future holds here as they had an encouraging playoffs run, kind of, sort of. Um, and then, of course, we've got the Lockdown Bears as Lauren Cox is diving into training cab. Mitch Trubisky versus Nick Foles is starting to heat up. Sounds like Mitch Trubisky might actually win the starting job, despite everyone saying Nick Foles had it in the bag. So check out all the Chicago sister stations. But with that, let's kick it over to our interview with Herb Lawrence and Ryan Tannehill with Lockdown White Sox. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and why wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brands his warehouse happens to carry? 
You have computers and access to AutoRock.com at home in your pocket. AutoRock.com is a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to AutoRock.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in an easy few clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for the professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to autorock.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so you know who sent you. It's us. (laughs) Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. (laughs) rockauto.com Now the folks over there at Locked On Cubs Follow them individually, Sean Sears on Twitter, and also Ryan Davis, the folks at Locked On Cubs for a great conversation about this weekend series. Fellas, how you doing over there? Oh, Good. <laughs> I've, had, I've had better weekends. I've had worse weekends. You know, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, the good thing is the Cubs are still in first place because of the terrible division you're in and the great playing you've done before this series. We at Locked on Sox, you know, we respect the Cubs. We're not haters as typical Sox fans <laughs> might be, but we want to know just what your thoughts overall on the Cubs this weekend. Coming in, they were, you know, not playing great. They had beaten uh, they had beaten the St. Louis Cardinals three games to two, and I thought before the series, it's going to be a nice litmus test for the White Sox. What do you guys think the Cubs did this weekend? Would you like, would you hate? Uh, Ron, you want to take this first? Yeah. Um, So I hated uh, the bullpen. The bullpen typically (laughs) uh, is the problem for the Cubs. It has been for about a a year and a half, two years. And uh, things that I liked, um, the starting pitching. Uh, I think that's the obvious. You Darvish, I think, might be running away at this point in the season with the Cy Young vote. That could obviously change, but he's – been absolutely outstanding so uh the offense has been really inconsistent for a couple years and it looked like early on that was changing because they kind of had everybody clicking all at once through that 13 and 3 start but since then you know chris bryant hurt his wrist but even before that he wasn't hitting well Baez isn't hitting well uh, Contreras, rizzo's been you know kind of hot and cold schwarber until today really hadn't slugged at all So it's been really frustrating. And although they had that great start, the Cubs just kind of still look like that 2019 team. Yeah, that's kind of where I was at too. I mean, obviously the bullpen's been an issue, like Ryan said, for a while, but we'd seen it get a little bit better through the month of August. So we were kind of hoping for maybe some better production that didn't quite happen. That John Lester game was brutal. Uh, <laughs> it was tough to see Lester. I mean, I think everyone kind of knew that regression was coming. And uh, with a lineup like the Sox, who just annihilate lefties, that was kind of scary. So um, seeing Lester kind of come down to earth and then kind of crash a little bit was not fun. But um, offensively, I think that's really where it's the most frustrating. You see the Cubs get guys and runners in scoring position and just continue to fail to score. They did it today, too, on Sunday, grounding into a double play with, you know, bases loaded again it's tough to watch some of that so offensively there's a lot of things that we're I think hoping for better results because we saw that do so well at the beginning of the season so there's a 
Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to add one thing, and this is something that I think when teams watch the Cubs, they don't quite get the same grasp that Cubs fans do because we watch you know the team more consistently. But Sean, would you say that in the last week or nine days, the Cubs have grounded into about 12 or no, I'm sorry, grounded into, but had 12 or 13 instances where they had the bases loaded, but didn't score. Yeah. It's like getting to the point where I'm, I'm frustrated to see the Cubs load the bases up. Like I, I just, I know they just aren't putting the ball in the air very often. So they're just smashing balls into the ground. So these double play balls have just been killers and it's been like every series since they were facing the Brewers last weekend. Yeah. It's, it's probably been, it's probably been at least a week where they've consistently loaded the bases but just didn't score and that's like it's it's almost like extremely fluky at this point because typically players bat better with the bases loaded yeah that's sort of symptomatic of when your team's not going well I I think Sox fans can relate to that it seems like you have endless opportunities but never cash in on any of them and you know when I look at the, the, the current Cubs roster and, and going into the, the weekend series, there was a lot of talk about Tim Anderson, Javi Baez, you know, the, the shortstops of Chicago and mm-hmm. this and that. But when, when you watch Javi Baez, you know, I, I don't check in a lot on, on, the, on the Cubs, you know, with the Sox doing so well. But the, the Javi Baez thing, it's, you know, so far this year has been pretty disappointing. And I'm just wondering, do you think, is he dealing with, with some injuries or he just doesn't seem like the same Javi out there? I know he turned on one late in the game. Uh, that you like to see he tacked the first pitch fastball, I think it was. But overall, Javi Baez is a big part of what the Cubs do. And so far in 2020, not so good for Javi. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I I think what I've seen a lot with Javi is really frustrated at bats. It feels like he really wants to smash the bat on the ground when he comes away from the box. And, like, uncharacteristically, like, staring at strike three. Like, the, the big issue for Javi used to be he swung too much. And I know the numbers are showing this year, at least, he's swinging less outside the zone. So you would think that would mean like more patient at bats, doing more damage on pitch, pitches in the zone, but he's just missing them. Like it just comes down to he doesn't – it's either not seeing the zone well on top of – I think there's maybe a little bit of a mental aspect of maybe batting third or, or you know, coming behind guys like with Brian and Rizzo getting on base to deliver. He's that RBI guy now. I, I don't know. None of that stuff seemed to be issues with Javi, but like you have to wonder like what's going on. Cause he doesn't seem to be hurt. I know there was the heel issue he had last year and that's kind of where everyone's like, he hasn't hit well since then. So maybe there's something lingering there, but I, I don't know. It just seems like he's just not himself, even in the batter's box. Yeah. I, I think I have a theory and I don't, I don't know if it's true or not. I know early <laughs> on in his career, that's what we, do. Uh, we speculate. That's how we're yeah, all for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, who knows if it could be a crackpot theory, but it could be true. You just never know with Javi. The um, early on his career, the one of his biggest problems and biggest barriers to success was his pitch recognition. You know, you'd see him just badly outguessed on, you know, it, it's a breaking pitch that lands in the left-handed batter's box and he's swinging like it's going to be a fastball. He just was not recognizing pitches just basically swinging from his heels and it got a lot better. And that's when it resulted in what you saw in 2018 and to a lesser degree in 2019, when he was, you know, an all-star MVP candidate Uh, this year and and in other stretches, when he struggled, he starts to do it again. He starts to just not know what's coming and get outguessed. Like he's just guessing on every single pitch. And like Sean said, it's either looking at strike three kind of right down the middle on a fastball when he might be was maybe was expecting a breaking pitch or, you know, uh, swinging at a pitch that's way out of the zone. It, it's been that kind of inconsistency, inconsistency that has been his problem. 
Yeah, and I think the one thing Cub fans can take at Solison is you spoke on it earlier. Bryant's not hitting. Rizzo's not hitting. Javi's not hitting. Contreras not hitting. And Schwarber's not hitting. The only person I see in the everyday lineup with an OPS over 800 is Hap, and that's a surprise. So yeah. being 17 and what 17 and 10 now, first place in the NL Central, you got to take solace and like, yeah, we're pitching very well, and the bullpen's struggling, and whatever that Craig Kimbrell thing was today, we're <laughs> dominant for two, and then off the tracks for all the rest of it. This team is an enigma, but still, they're one of the best teams in the National League without being at the top of their powers. Yeah, and you know something Sean and I were talking about before is that 13-3 and three start really helps you because it, even in this poor stretch, they've won uh, four of their last seven. So uh, they've not been scoring offensively. They've not been uh, really ha- having great bullpen performances in this you know stretch for the last week plus. Um, but they've kind of been maintaining, you know, like you said, still 17-10. and 10. And what I was saying because of the short season is – all they need is one more hot stretch, one more time where the through where the offense really clicks for let's say 10, 15 games, and if they can do something like, you know, 10 and three or uh, 14 and six over a stretch, it, it won't matter what they do in the rest of the games. That that'll be good enough because of that 13 and three start. I yeah, mean, it's coming up right here. You guys got some games versus the Tigers, which the White Sox saw and got fed. It was delicious. It was awesome. And then the Reds. I mean, I thought they were going to be good this year, but so far the Reds are a major disappointment salute. And then the Pirates right after that. So if the Cubs are going to get healthy and get fed, this is the stretch they get. They got to do it right here. Yeah, it definitely doesn't get easier from here on out. So you got to take advantage of those teams when you got them. But yeah, hopefully health is the biggest concern. I think right now with this team, like Chris Bryant needs to get healthy. They're finally getting Jose Quintana back. Who knows if that's a positive or negative. Chatwood's on the aisle right now too. And that was kind of a question mark. And probably as Ryan and I've talked about the answer to like some of the bullpen issues is maybe sliding Chatwood down there. Um, But you got to kind of answer those questions while also winning baseball. So hopefully the Cubs can do that against some pretty weaker teams coming up here. So, you know, Dylan Seas was pretty good today. It wasn't as good as Darvish, but I'm wondering just from a Cub fan perspective, what do you think is going through Cubs fans' minds when they see Dylan Seas out there? We, we know about uh, the, all the, the stuff that comes along with when you have the Eloy conversation, but you don't hear a lot about Dylan Seas and he kind of had his, like that was his big boy moment today out there where yeah. we, we didn't peg him to do much today. We thought he was going to be amped up and he, and he looked like he was early, but he got out of some first inning trouble. But how do you guys sort of reconcile, you know, seeing the Dylan Cease part of it, uh, you, you know, play out in front of your eyes today and especially considering the the Cubs lack of, of, of producing, you know, pitching talent and Dwayne Underwood, I think has the most strikeouts, <laughs> you know, for, for any Cubs pitching prospect. And he looked damn good the other night too, but yeah. how do you guys sort of reconcile the whole Dylan sees part of, uh, part of that, uh, of that trade? Is that something that, you know, maybe we're putting too much into it because we follow the socks and we like to rub it in or, or, <laughs> or, or when you see Dylan sees out there is some like, yeah, that's a guy that we could probably use for, you know, uh, the next five to 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, I, I was big on the Dylan C's bandwagon early on. He, uh, I saw him pitch uh, in the Midwest League at single A um, in Peoria, and I interviewed him uh, after the game. And what a really intelligent guy who really knew what he was doing even back then when he was maybe 20 years old. Um, 
you know, he looked good, but he was wild and just couldn't repeat his command, uh, his mechanics at the time. Um, still working on his curveball and, you know, just really couldn't throw it for strikes. Uh, but the talent was obvious. And so for me, uh, that really hurts uh, probably more than Eloy Jimenez because uh, the Cubs, you know, if they had him, that would be great because he's a great player. But really what they needed to develop was a pitcher. And they did. They just traded him to the White Sox. But the reaction that you're, you're not seeing among Cubs fans, I think, is probably in large part, maybe Sean can tell me if he feels the same way. It's probably in large part because Cubs fans already kind of know they lost that trade. <laughs> and, that, and that, you know, Eloy was the guy, right? Like he yeah. was the first one to arrive. And every, that, that really sticks in every Cubs fan's craw is that part of it. I think by the time Dylan Cease really arrived, we're all just kind of resigned to, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can attest to it. Yeah, we, we kind of knew we lost that trade about a year and a half in. It was pretty clear. Obviously, Aloy was going to be a stud. Um, but Cease is an interesting like, part of that whole deal because, like Ryan said, he, he would have solved a lot of issues for the Cubs. But he was also like the only pitching prospect we really knew a ton about for a really long time. And he was a guy that I remember reading like a ton of random things on like Cubs Den about him and how his hand size was growing. And I remember like thinking to myself, like, God, I've never like read this much about a pitcher before. So we were just super excited about him. So I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah. Today's start was awesome. That was a huge step for Cease, but yeah, it, it sucks. Cause they would have been awesome to see that. Cause that's exactly what the Cubs need right now. But on the flip side of that. So Quintana seems to be on his way back pretty soon here. Where are you guys at on Q? I mean, obviously you, the Cubs have done really well so far at this point with Alec Mills being in the rotation and, you know, the things have been stabilized a bit there. But how, where are you guys at on Q? Is it one of those things where you're just like, <laughs> here we go again? Like, this, is this where, like, we kind of revert back to the to the Cubs teams of the past two years? Or um, do you think he, he'll, he'll help this starting rotation uh, exponentially? Or where do you guys stand on Jose Quintana right now? So, so Ryan actually had a really interesting take on him last year about him using his changeup. Um, I don't know. Did you, I mean, I think <laughs> it's kind of out now. Like it's not, it hasn't gone very well, but Ryan, did you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, he performs much better when he throws his change up more frequently. It's one of his better pitches and he used it a lot early on in his Sox career, I believe, but in the year last year or so, before leaving the Sox and then early with the Cubs, he didn't really throw it as much. And I remember he started to throw it more last year um, and it didn't go all that well, but um, that they were talking about it early in spring training uh, before all the pandemic mess um, that they were talking about. He was working on that change up and was planning to throw it more often uh, Then you know, obviously the pandemic, and then he cut his finger. So we haven't seen that, uh, but I'm interested. I do think that he can be successful if he can mix his pitches a little better uh, but when he gets to basically just fastball curveball and, you know, especially when he's not locating his curveball guys, just sit on the fastball. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the main problem with him last year. We saw, you know, just constantly getting lit up by teams like the Brewers, just, you know, spitting on every single breaking pitch and just waiting on 91, 92 mile an hour fastballs. Yeah. And that's the thing with Q when he was the White Sox, he was, using that curveball and change up to set up the his out pitch with the White Sox was a high fastball. He used to strike mm -hmm. most of the guys out with that type of a, you know, it was mid nineties of velocity. Mm -hmm. So you have to have something that is, you know, getting those guys off of that with 
some type of mile per hour difference. So yeah, I'm a big time Q guy. I'm a Q apologist. So I think <laughs> that Q coming back, Tyler Chatwood having the injury problems, Alec Mills last start wasn't the greatest, but you know, he's pitched overall pretty well. I think it's going to solidify that starting rotation and then set up a bullpen where you're not having to use guys like Dwayne Underwood too much. Um, you don't have to depend on um, anything from Kirk Kimball, even though his stuff is filthy. I don't know what happened to him in the third battery he was facing. You could see the talent. You could see the 90 plus mile per hour fastball and the curveball and slider moving, you know, horizontally and going away from pitch uh, hitters bats. But I think there's something mentally wrong with him. So Hugh coming back can only solidify that starting rotation and make your bullpen much better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I agree with what Sean said. We've talked about this a couple times on Locked on Cubs. I think uh, Chatwood coming off the injury makes more sense to go to the bullpen than anybody else. And that even if you start Q in the bullpen and maybe transition him to the rotation, that's probably the smarter thing. I think among those two and Alec Mills, Chatwood has the highest potential as a reliever, especially this year where he's looked so good and in command of his pitches, which was his major problem in 2018 and sometimes in 2019. Uh, but we also saw in 2019 in the bullpen, he could ramp his fastball up to a hundred. So, yeah. you know, I think of the Chatwood we saw in the rotation early this year coming back as a, you know, maybe 35 to 45 pitch reliever guy who can go an inning in two thirds or two innings, uh, but could hit a hundred with that, that kind of command that's a, a very dominating reliever. So I think it will Q getting back could help in that way. And that it's possible they could give the Cubs a really solid reliever with Chatwood. Are there any issues this year or this week with David Ross and how he manages? I think throughout this season, he's been strong and I'm not, I'm not a guy who thinks managers really matter in wins and losses, but whatever he's done in the clubhouse and gotten the team energized in the in the dugout, I think he's done a phenomenal job. Do you guys have any gripes about his moves this weekend or any during the season? No, I, honestly, we've we've both been pretty on board with a lot of his moves, especially the way he handles Kimbrel. Like uh, we're so glad he's just real quick to recognize. Like even after that, the two, like he said, dominates two for his first two batters, and then just can't locate after that. I'm glad he had the quick hook. Like a lot of those things are, are exactly what Joe Madden just didn't quite do well at leading kind of letting a guy like Craig Campbell fight through those moments instead of saying like hey let's get him out let's get someone in and it's those quick decisions that have really been kind of on point but I don't know Ryan was there anything that stuck out for you um I think I see more complaining about Ross uh, and like little individual moves yeah. with this guy instead of that guy I, I think it's just a factor of winning and losing um that you complain more about the manager when you lose than early on when he looked like a genius because they were winning uh, so yeah, um, I, I think overall it's been a net positive kind of what Sean said is that we uh, appreciate Ross's sort of quick hook, uh, with certain guys and, uh, you know, like we saw with Kimbrell today, you know, he, he looks so great against those first two batters and then he still had good stuff. And there were a couple pitches where he just missed, or, you know, maybe he didn't like who he was pitching to. Uh, and then he, he get, you know, the next two guys get on base and, you know, Ross comes out and gets him, whereas Joe probably lets him go another batter or two. Um, yeah, so that's been that's been the major difference is that 
I think the old school player friendly was that you had guys like Joe Madden or Dusty Baker who really stick with those veterans even when they struggle. And the kind of new school player friendly is being able to explain to those guys, you know, I know what's best in this situation and it's better for you if I get you out and let you work through it rather than keep throwing you out there in the ninth inning to get bombed. You know, more of those on the major changes front, you know, a guy that I really enjoy watching and who is in the MVP conversation for the National League is Ian Happ. And he had a quiet weekend this weekend. But, you know, you talk about a guy that's been through all of it, you know, coming up uh, in the middle of expectations of 2017 and getting sent down. And we, we all know everything that happened along, you know, with those trials and tribulations there and sort of dealing with all the things that a young baseball player goes through. You know, you know, seeing the the you know the heaven and the hell of major league lifestyle. <laughs> but so, what has been the biggest change for him this year that's turned him into such a force uh, at the top of the Cubs lineup? Um, I I would say the biggest thing that I'm noticing since he uh, came back, or shortly after he came back to the big league team last year, and since then, uh, has he's not swinging and missing at the extremely high fastball nearly as much Uh, he's laying off those pitches Um, other than that I'm not as qualified to dig down and into all the other details that's just the one like major thing that I noticed Sean is there anything else you've noticed that's been different specifically Uh, I've seen a lot more pitches Um, Ian had felt like he was trying to pick out like the pitch he wanted early on in counts because guys weren't really he was at the lower end of the lineup sometimes so like it would feel like he would roll over on pitches or like Ryan said, he was just never touching the high fastball. And that was kind of his, his kryptonite, so to speak. So like seeing him see more pitches, be able to go the other way with power from the left side and still hitting from the right side really well this year too. It just feels like he's locked in. And I don't know if he's just got a better, I don't know, understanding of the strike zone, more comfortable in the box, but um, just seeing him, I mean, I I think he's hit at least three or four opposite field home runs right now. So, I mean, like, He's just seemed locked in at the plate. Obviously, this weekend was rough. He struck out a little bit more than you we've seen him do so far this year, but he's still seeing a lot of pitches. He's still taking his walks, and he's a lot faster than I think people give him credit for, too, on the bases. And he turns a lot of would-be singles to doubles. It goes first to third a lot, first to home. So he just does a lot of little things, too, and I think that helps, too. I think. Hey, go ahead. Sorry. Hey, guys, uh, good luck with Casey Mize tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is ruined my day. As a baseball fan perspective, like you know, he he obviously pitched against the White Sox in Dane Dunning's debut last week. Right. But one of the comps said that I had for him, I told her when we were watching, I was like, this guy reminds me a lot of Garrett Cole. He's got he's got the high fastball going. He's got the tight breaking ball, and he just aesthetically he sort of looks like him out there on the mound. He's got the same type of presence. But you guys are <laughs> are in for a treat. So you may not feel that way like during the game, but <laughs> I hope. But I hope you I hope you take a, a second to check him out because after only one start, obviously, but he he he's good. <laughs> I can break that news here. Yeah. On the Lockdown Cubs podcast, Casey Mize equals good, the former number one pick overall. But, yeah, uh, yeah, have you guys seen any Casey Mize yet before heading into tomorrow's game? Uh, I've seen some Pitch Ninja uh, gifts from his start against Dwayne Dunning. And, yeah, I, like, immediately started to look today. And I was like, ah, oh, the Cubs are going to see him. <laughs> I was like, we're going we're gonna to get eaten alive. We always seem to do really bad against rookies in their first starts or super soft, tough, sing, like, okay. catching This guys. is, like, uh, something that all baseball fans, I think, feel the same way about their team. This is not something exclusive. <laughs> The Sox, yeah. every team seems to think that way. That's one of the things we'd like to bridge the gap here with the, with the Cubs and Sox. It's, it's also <laughs> a 
Cubs people <laughs> who feel the same way about the Cubs. So it's not just a Sox thing where you're, Wait, fa- you're facing a guy making their debut and all of a sudden you can't hit them. It's that's yeah. common among baseball. Huh? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I've never thought about it that way. That that's something that everybody goes through is uh, uh, soft tossing. Less lefties are just like kryptonite for everybody, I guess. <laughs> No, it's just the Cubs. It's Julio Cisine. Uh, that guy. <laughs> if I if I ever have to see Gio Gonzalez or uh, <laughs> or Mo- Wade Miley ever again, or Doug Davis, somebody reanimated the corpse of Doug Davis, That's I'd be like our, our Bruce Chen for us. Bruce Chen was that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. several years, you know. And I'm sure you can. Make- Sai Chen. Sai Chen. Sorry, I, I called him out of his out of his name, but yeah, <laughs> not something unique to you guys. But yeah, Casey Mize tomorrow. You try to put, try to put the uh, the Cubs interest aside and just take a look at him. And knowing this, he'll go out and get rocked. But uh, he's making his home debut for the Tigers tomorrow, so should be fun to watch. Yeah, and uh, too bad for him that his home debut doesn't have any fans there. Um, but speaking of guys who made debuts, a, a little off topic, but uh, uh, Sixto Sanchez, there was a, the pitching ninja had a gif of him. I don't know if you guys saw it, but that was the most wicked movement on a 100-mile pitch I have ever seen. It was like a 100-mile-an-hour slider. I'm going to check it out right now because, yeah. yeah, I mean, what today was featuring, I mean, getting a little bit back to what um, you, Darvish, did on the mom, man, I mean, I was showing my girlfriend that, you know, they have the strikeout box there. And then the ball is going right at the edge of the strikeout box. Yeah, man. And, mm-hmm. and then it just takes a left turn into the left-handed hitter's <laughs> batter's box. And I'm like, it's not fair. I mean, what the hell? He was throwing some hangers earlier in the game, and the White Sox weren't doing anything with them. Then at the end of the game, whereas the end of his start, he kind of got better, which is weird to me how a pitcher gets more precise and more deadly at the end of the game. I was so happy when he left the game because (laughs) that thing is he's he's dumb good. He's just really, really good. And I'm looking at the six toe thing and wow. Yeah, 91 mile per hour changeup. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the that 100 mile an hour fastball moves like nothing I've seen. I mean, that's just insane movement for something moving that fast. But uh, yeah, I I think that um, Sean, why, why don't you take that question? <laughs> yeah, Darvish uh, Darvish has been incredibly impressive, and I know even just like in the second half alone, I think he only walked seven guys, and that was coming from a guy who coming into even before he became a Cub, you were super worried about his control with Tommy John surgery, and he's just found something i don't know what it is exactly last year we talked about him getting more comfortable as a cub and just kind of settling in he's got his guy victor carantini catching him now and it just feels like he's so comfortable to go out there and just like try a knuckle curve for once and just add to your repertoire like a splitter that goes 91 miles an hour like it's it's nuts he's just so talented and for someone to be able to go up there on the mound and feel that comfortable throw nine pitches all it does is get guys thinking, and then he starts hitting you with his cutter, his fastball, his two-seam, and then he breaks that those breaking balls out, whether it be the slider, the, the curveball. He's just got so much, and it just gets guys thinking. And when that happens, it's a lot harder to catch up to a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. And it, he's just dealing in a way that we haven't seen a guy do in a really long time. So it's been fun. Yeah, uh, one thing that I would say is it almost feels like Darvish is playing 3D chess uh, when everyone else is just playing chess. Uh, and and really, that, that's a bigger testament to the Cubs' entire rotation, really, if you think about a guy like Alec Mills and then Kyle Hendricks, Darvish, and Lester. 
those are all really smart pitchers. I mean, they don't have all have the best stuff uh, or, or the, you know, biggest fastball, but those guys are all really intelligent. That's how they get by. Uh, I think Darvish is right up there with Hendricks on just being a smart pitcher. Like, you know, Sean said, he throws basically nine pitches uh, and he, you know, he messes with his stuff. You know, he, he, he'll throw something that he hasn't thrown in weeks. Uh, that's just slightly different, you know, and he, he, it's just crazy to watch him pitch. He's just so smart. Yeah. Looking he's at the also sorry. hilarious. No, I was going to say he's also hilarious on Twitter, but you know, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> the baseball we like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a great Twitter follow. Anytime, any, any time an athlete claps back at David Kaplan on Twitter, I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> I, I enjoy you Darvish as well. Uh, just looking at fan graphs, um, the, the projected percentage to make the playoffs, uh, the Cubs sitting at 96%. To make the playoffs right now, White Sox are at 96.6. So I'm just, you know, looking at the two teams. You know, when I think of the White Sox, and you know, I, I would never dare the you know, the baseball gods and spit in their face and try to line up the White Sox playoff rotation and, and get too much into that because you know we're we'll just be happy to be there. I think initially, but <laughs> I think the White the White Sox. I think one thing they can do as good as anyone is they can obviously mash and they can hit good pitching and now this this late resurgence of, of the power coming back I, I think that's going to do them well in the postseason so you feel pretty good about that and their offense going in to a short series but as far as their weakness I, I would say the bullpen and maybe not right now but uh, we Herb and I talk about this all the time this you know what was once a strength going into the year with the starting rotation now after Kopech opting out and the injuries they've suffered it's turning into a weakness but a slow weakness like this is like a slow leak and I think you know, over the next, you know, few weeks, this thing could get, you know, exposed really badly, you know, if, if, if Ronaldo Lopez doesn't come back and be consistent and, and, you know, kind of just shore up that rotation a little bit. So I think the bullpen is their Achilles heel. Looking at the Cubs, what do you think is something they do just as good or if not better than anyone that they would see in the playoffs? And what's the, uh, the Achilles heel for the Cubs that you, you would think going into a, a series? I would say that their Achilles heel is probably – uh, their bullpen and most teams probably think that right I mean uh, the bullpens around baseball in general haven't been great um, so yeah I, I would say that's that's the biggest thing is they have a couple guys who either have a history of being great or you know in like Jeremy Jeffress has been great uh, Rowan Wick you know has the stuff to be great so you have like maybe three or four guys right now that you feel okay about but beyond that if you're in a playoff series, you need to use four or five pitchers out of the bullpen in one game, you're probably giving up a bunch of runs. So uh, I think if, if the Cubs make the playoffs, the thing that's going to derail them will probably be their bullpen. Yeah. Uh, their, their bullpen's rough. I, I think the other thing for the Cubs too, is while they see a lot of pitches, I know it's been shown the Cubs are seeing, I think it's like close to four and a half pitches per bats right now. And that's great. They don't have a lot of contact hitters. And when you're in the postseason, you've got guys that are coming at you more so just because those games mean a lot more. Those guys know it's, you know, short leash. You're going at it for a little bit. Postseason games, you, you need your contact hitters, especially if you're going to have patient hitters. The Cubs don't really have a ton of contact hitters. They've, like, just been, over the last couple of years, literally the worst national or team in the National League in contact. So lacking guys like the Ben Zilbers that they've had for a while, or even like Albert Amora is technically a contact hitter, but like doesn't ever, ever elevate a baseball. So lacking those guys in the lineup, especially in the postseason, it's kind of been either like hot or cold Cubs offense. They either have to hit a lot of home runs or they're kind of just poking runs through. And 
not having that contact is rough, especially in the postseason. Well, obviously this weekend, uh, you guys got the better half of the Cubs-Sox series, uh, obviously taking two or three from the White Sox or from the Cubs. Jeez. Um, but coming into the series, what were your guys' expectations of the Cubs? And what are you thinking now? What, what, who is that better team? Because obviously the Cubs had that better record, but the Sox are hotter than anyone right now. You know, coming into the series, we said it that, well, at least I said it, that I thought the Cubs were the real litmus test for the White Sox. It would be the first time they really played a strong team other than the Minnesota Twins. You know, Cleveland's good, but, you know, I don't seem them think them as a strong team. Um, they have great pitching, but their hitters are just woeful for right now. So I was like, this is a litmus test. If we can get one out of three versus a really good team on the road, I'll be very satisfied with what the White Sox do, especially if they play clean baseball and they just lose like today's game was. You can't be mad at the White Sox necessarily. They got a bet bested by a better pitcher. After, I'm thinking it's a, a draw because we don't have what, we don't have that you Darvish. And if we went up in like a theoretical game, a best of seven series where you gets a pitch game one, four, and seven, we got good pitchers. And you guys saw Dallas Keuchel. Pretty yeah. dominant on Friday. Decent, uh, decent outing. G Lito's really good. Yeah, he's not you, Darvish. He can shut the Cubs down for a little bit, but he can get hit a hit up a, a little bit. But it seems like you, Darvish, on a different level. So I'll say even because our offense is so dominant. But if you got a guy like you going three out of the seven, it's gonna be tough to beat him. Uh, one of those games, let alone a couple of those games, so you don't have to face them for that third time. So I would say the Cubs and Sox right now, or even after this weekend, I definitely thought they were better before we started playing. Yeah, and we pegged the Sox, as I think I mentioned it earlier. We, we thought they were going to definitely lose two out of three. I thought we, we, we called it just like you mentioned it about the Lester thing and the regression coming with, with him pretty rapidly. You know, I, I still have faith in him over the long term and the big picture that he can sort of, you know, not be as good as he's been early on here in 2020, but sort of just stabilize a little bit. I don't think he'll be as bad as he was the other night. But, you know, I, I, I would tend to agree with Herb that that's kind of a draw situation. You know, obviously the Cubs got off to that really hot start. And no one can sustain that type of pace. So I don't think they're as good as they were during that start. But that's the, the beauty of, you know, building up a, a big lead like that and, you know, padding, padding your, your wins in that fashion. You can kind of sort of have some lulls here. But I think with the schedule the Cubs have coming up here with Detroit, I think they should handle them pretty easily. They should still be able to eke out the next game uh, against Casey Mize. You know, they, they still have the better talent, I think. Uh, except Jamer Candelario is a White Sox killer. So that's another layer that maybe you guys would, would find extra frustrating <laughs> for us. He's like, this guy, they have no scouting report on Jamer Candelario. This is the weird thing about <laughs> Cubs. They fight. They had to face Eloy and then Cease. Now this week, it's Jamer Candelario and Paredes, both former Cub prospects. So that is a weird uh, thing to for the Cubs and I mean, they all worked out. They won the World Series, went to the playoffs for four years straight. But, you know, they got all their great players who are prospects spread around this league, and now they got to see them. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, in short, I think the Cubs will be okay. You know, that what I saw out of this out of the bullpen this weekend, it was, I felt more encouraged afterwards than I did going in if, if you're a Cubs fan because, you know, Jeffress, who I was very high on when they signed him, like I, I can't believe the Brewers just let him go. And then when the Cubs snatched him up, I was like, I, I love that move right there. And you kind of saw that today. Um, a little rocky at the end, but he was in there for a long time you know, after cleaning up after 
uh, Craig Kimbrell. But I, I think, you know, the, the bullpen will stabilize and I think the Cubs will be okay in, in the long term. They, they've got the bats. They've got, you know, the, the new manager bump, which that's the one thing that I worry about. It's like, was, is that going to start to wear off now? Now that you sort of get into the rhythm of the baseball season, does it, you know, you're starting to see it a little bit now, you know, it's not playing as crisp and not getting the timely hits as they were in the first couple of weeks. But as I said, again, you know, it's hard to sustain that type of play, but you know, I, as far as the white Sox, you have to be thrilled with, with the outcome for them, because as Herb said, it was this, this was very much a barometer for them. They had beaten up on some bad things, which in itself, for Sox fans was a win because that's the the first step really of, of a team on their way up. It's like, do you handle the teams that are worse than you? And so far they've done that. And, you know, in, in terms of this series this weekend, I mean, it was just, it was playoff intensity. Like today, that was a hell of a game there, even though the Sox lost, but I was standing up in the ninth inning at home watching it. And, you know, at first I said, I don't know if I have the heart anymore to watch uh, playoff baseball. I don't even know if I want it after going through the rebuild and now seeing what it's like playing baseball of consequence, you know, it's it was been a minute. It's, it's, been, a it's been a while. It's been <laughs> 2008 for us. So I was like, I, I, for a while, I was, I was like, oh, after the twin series opening weekend, I was like, this is too high leverage for me. I don't, I'm not built for this. But then after this weekend, I was like, yeah, more of that, please. Like I, that was just fun all the way around. And, and I think the Sox are in good shape. And as long as they beat, you know, they've got a soft spot in the schedule here with the Pirates and, and more Tigers and Royals coming up before the, seeing the uh, the, the uh, Twins again. But, yeah, you have to be thrilled if you're a Sox fan. And, you know, I don't think it was anything, you know, with the Cubs that I would look at them differently. But uh, it certainly surprised me that, that they uh, – at saturday's game with Hendricks, you know oh, yeah. and you know luis robert coming back and looking like he was at full strength ultra oh. beast mode you know once again that was surprising to me but yeah as you know i think the cubs are in good shape here the rest of the way if they can stay healthy and you know uh if bias bias is a big part of this man he's he's got to go back to being javi and then all of a sudden this team is real dangerous uh they're going forward to the playoffs now, i have to add this full disclosure i i grew up in central illinois where uh probably 70% of baseball fans are Cardinals fans and White Sox are a very small percentage here. And I, I grew up a Cubs fan, obviously, but um, being able to get the Cubs and Sox broadcasts, I watched a lot of Sox games and I really only root against the Sox when they're playing the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, so the, I got to get that out there. I absolutely love this White Sox team and I think they are the better team right now. Uh, and further, I think that especially with signing Dallas Keuchel and with a lot of the way the roster has changed for the Sox coming into this year, they remind me so much of the 2015 Cubs. Uh, Dallas Keuchel is essentially your John Lester signing uh, that legitimizes uh, what they're doing with the roster as these guys kind of arrive in the big leagues. And the Cubs already had their Anthony Rizzo, like the Sox already have Jose Abreu, who's been the kind of veteran of this team now. Uh, But you've got, you know, Eloy Jimenez, uh, Yon Makata, all these other guys, Tim Anderson, who's you know still only 27, all these offensive players coming in and really putting up numbers. I think that this team is you know basically at the beginning of its window. And you know, if I have to be honest with myself, I, it looks like maybe they'll even be able to have a better window than the Cubs. I mean, yeah, they they've done what the Cubs didn't do was signing their players. Well, Rick Hahn's kind of good at that signing. They their have players. to. Yeah. Why not have to yeah. the way they operate? That's it's right. imperative. 
to what they do, but it's certainly now, you know, looking forward, it's, it seems to be a luxury they have now, you know, so it could have bitten them in the end. It still could bite them, you know, but it certainly doesn't seem that way with Luis Robert and Eloy. Luis Robert looks yeah. good, man. That home run he hit, I think that was the loudest clank I've ever heard off of a bleacher in Wrigley. I was like, wow, that was a straight missile. <laughs> he annihilated yeah. that bitch. We had a text thread going, me, Herb, and our buddy Brendan McCaffrey were all Sox fans, and we're just like, that moment where you're like, I can't believe this guy's on our team. Right. You know, like, <laughs> it's one of those guys. We, don't have, we haven't had many of those guys in our lifetime, but you know, Luis Robert is a dude. And this hurts a little bit to say. I mean, it doesn't hurt, actually. It's like when we watch Fernando Tatis Jr., it's like, man, uh, he is really good. And then yeah. you look at your own team, you're like, we kind of got that same kind of talent on our team, too. So... Don't feel too bad. I mean, yeah, we gave money for garbage, but still, it's good to see a guy of that caliber just hitting like the bottom of his talent. He'll he still got some some right. time. And to compare it to the 2015 Cubs and then the subsequent 2016 Cubs, we're just looking for our John Lackey because we didn't come here looking for a haircut. <laughs> we got a long memory. Can we get it on? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tend to win games and eat homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> We're all out of homeless people. <laughs> um, I I really love I really love what the Sox are doing, and yeah, they're not only are they really good. I think they're a lot of fun to watch, and you know, yeah. it, it reminds me, like I said, so much of the Cubs uh, when they first were calling up those young guys. I just hope that for the Sox. Uh, they able they're able to continue develop, um, and you know not that winning the World Series is ever bad or that anyone should ever not be happy about the way they did it. But having done it so early in these guys' careers, I, I think it, it's made it harder for them to learn how to deal with not being the best team, not not thinking you can just flip that switch. So that would be my only concern with all these young guys coming up with the Sox is having such early success and then not being able to figure out how to replicate it. I'd be, that'd be a great problem to have because yeah. you look at the, like, <laughs> at the, at the Atlanta Braves. Like I know it sucks if you're a Cubs fan watching them and you see all the talent because every year, you know, I pick the Cubs like, Oh, that's, they're going straight to the world series. It's the Chicago Cubs invitational, but they always seem to come up a little short. And I think there is something to what you said there about experiencing success too early, but you look at the Atlanta Braves and there, there's no guarantees in this, in this game, man. So like if, if you can get one, I think that that's, that's a win right there, you know, but, but ultimately what the Cubs have done is able to you know have division title after division title and right and be have sustained success and sometimes you know because of variance you don't always get you know the the, the championship we're looking for but ultimately it's about building that foundation and that's really all I think Sox fans want is to is sustain success year after year and a reason to come out to the ballpark and boost that attendance up a little bit boost the revenue so all of a sudden you become a destination for top tier free agents so I think that's what we want most of all obviously you want to win a world series but i, I think they, they need to build a foundation that'll last for you know uh, at least 10 years hopefully and what we as white Sox fans got to remember we've been to the playoffs only nine damn times in our history nine times five since we've been born so going to the playoffs is a thing like yeah winning the world series is the goal but that's hard as hell and winning right. repeated world series a team hasn't done that since 2000, and that's the Yankees went three-peat. So it's really hard. So I want White Sox to not temper their expectations, but understand that making the playoffs, like the Cubs made, what, four years in a row? Mm -hmm. That's a thing. That's a good thing to look forward to. And it might be, as Cub fans, disappointing in the moment, but 
having that same success to put yourself in the tournament to win is a thing. And yeah, you're coming to come up short and being in three LCSs is nothing to, sn- to sneeze at. But if the White Sox get half of what the Cubs had in that thing, I would be happy myself for Lawrence yeah. because winning a World Series is great. And then being in the World Series is great and being in LCSs is fantastic. Well, you don't even have to go back. You know, I use the Atlanta Braves reference, but look at the Dodgers. It looks I think the Dodgers are finally going to get what's theirs this year in a short season. And, you know, yeah. it would be much deserved on their end. But you look at what they've done over the past 10 That's years like, and they, and they haven't gotten their world series yet. So it goes to show you how cruel this game can be. So yeah, I guess to, to everyone's point there, yeah, we would just be thrilled with one, but just ultimately just being there year after year, I think would be, it would be a good start for the White Sox. Yeah. Last, uh, last question I have for you guys. Are the White Sox, uh, are they a playoff team? Are they getting yeah. in the central? Yes, they are. I think eventually they're going to overtake the Cleveland Indians because somehow they can't hit. <laughs> Even with and all the talent, the guys when the White Sox play them and um, what's his name? Uh, super cool. Uh, super cool. Uh, I forgot his name. He walks all the time. That guy. Oh, Carlos Santana. That son of a oh, bitch. Smooth. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's smooth, not cool. Herb. I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an old fogey, but yes, he gets hit all the damn time. He walks all the damn time. Yep. Santana gets hits and. Somehow they are just low on their OPS right now, but their pitching staff, they're even doing it without those two idiots. Yeah. They were like, Hey, two, <laughs> two fifths of our rotation. Like, yeah, we're considering not even having them in a rotation anymore. And we're still going to go out there and win. <laughs> it's absurd. And the guy they had out there last night for them, good Lord. Like it's, they just, you know, they have a farm of, of, of these starting pitchers that come Jeez, up man. immediately. And then Karen check coming out of the bullpen. He's filthy. Oh yeah. He's a whole the thing. Worst pers- <laughs> the worst person in their bullpen is their closer, Brad hand. He's terrible. Brad hand I yeah mean, now he's terrible he used to be great yeah I, I think you know it's Aaron Bummer is a big part of this if the Sox can get Aaron Bummer back healthy you know you saw that play out in in Saturday night's game where all of a sudden you had the top of the Cubs order and you're like man it would be great to have our our, our shutdown guy to bridge to, uh, to get to column a and also a guy who can shut down lefties but Aaron Bummer is just we miss Aaron Bummer so much because I don't know how much you can how long you can sustain the Evan Marshall high leverage guy thing but yeah, yeah, I think the Sox are if, if they get healthy. And that's a big part of it is I'm so worried about that bullpen. And if they get Aaron Bummer back, that's big because then all of a sudden you can start bridging these starts a little bit better and hopefully the offense can keep it up and, and the, the, the starting rotation doesn't have to have, you know, high stress innings and night after night. And, you know, so yeah, I, I think they are because, you know, you look at them versus Cleveland, you know, I, I would, I'm, I'm in that number two spot. I don't think they're quite as good as the Twins. But in a short series, who knows what can happen. But as far as I, I think they are better than the Indians because of the offense and, and the late resurgence of the power is such a big thing going into this. So, yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think Ryan and I both yeah. agree on that. <laughs> we, 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 we both yeah. think they're – I think we picked them as two teams. They're a team that would probably get that second spot or a team that would be in the wild card chase before they announced that too. They just – the talent alone was enough to probably put them ahead of the majority of those teams. And then we just didn't know what Cleveland was going to put out and – Great pitching, but they made the Cubs pitching look really, really good. Um, A lot better than I think they are, but... It goes to show yeah. you though how fragile this thing is too, because a week ago after that Cardinals doubleheader, we were ready to tear this thing down to the studs. <laughs> <laughs> like these just came back and beat the bricks off of us for two damn games. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, I don't, what, I don't know what you guys make of the whole Cardinals thing and how that affects uh, the, the Cubs going forward. But yeah, it is that 
you know, it, the whole thing is odd. I don't know how they would ever be able to sustain with playing all those games, like to make up, you know, before the end of the season, I don't know if they could go off winning percentage, but that Cardinals thing, like, is that in the back of your guys' mind? Like here they are in second place behind the Cubs only because of percentage points. Like, is this a team that you guys are gonna have to worry about? What do you think? Yeah, it, it worries me just a little bit because they did win the division last year. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily as good of a team this year. And they're also, you know, missing time for guys like, Carlos Martinez and who's supposed to be a, a you know part of the rotation. Miles Michaelis is out. So they have some issues uh, going on, especially with their rotation, but they're still, you know, a pretty good team. Uh, so yeah, it may, it worries me that you're going to have something where they, they haven't declared one way or another definitively how they're going to determine a division winner if a team plays less games. And there is a scenario where if the, Cardinals play like five games less than the Cubs, they could, fi- you know, finish with a higher winning percentage by essentially percentage points. And, you know, how do you determine who's the winner then? And that kind of seems like a nightmare scenario for the Cubs is, you know, having to watch the Cardinals take the division basically because they got COVID-19 and had to miss two weeks of play. Uh, that seems like, like it would be just a really odd way to end a season like this. Yeah. And I'm, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good, Herb. Uh, I was just going to say, I mean, they, I see 58 games on their schedule right now. I don't know how they get to 60. Um, so that's – would be very – the Cardinals would be the team that finds a way to beat the Cubs and only put 58 games. That just seems to be the way it goes sometimes against that team. But, yeah, it's going to be definitely a factor. Yeah, and this – I can understand why Cub fans hate the Cardinals. And they're fans. <laughs> I am not a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the whole culture down there. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, so it's boring. Chris Bryant was right. Um, I mean, yeah. it's very sanctimonious. Yeah, enjoy your toasted ravioli, whatever you have down there in your custard, delicious, but also boring. And the fans think they're, yeah, like you said, sanctimonious. Come on, calm down. I hope the Cubs win that. The teams that I, I don't mind, I don't mind the Cincinnati Reds. And I chose them for yeah. this year's yeah. uh, Central because I thought they had the best pitching staff, which they do. They're good. I mean, Trevor Bauer's showing that he should be paid a lot in this offseason. Yeah, man. But their offense, except for Nicholas Castellanos, what's going down? I mean, <laughs> this is a this is a, a problem that they're uh, struggling the way they did. So uh, just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, I really like the Reds, and I thought they were going to be the division winner this year. Um, so, yeah, that that's kind of surprised me that they're not playing well, especially because even uh, even when they didn't play well against other teams last year, they still looked like a possible contender against the Cubs uh, pretty much all year. And their rotation with uh, Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo, uh, those guys all looked really good against the Cubs at different times. So you, you kind of expect that they're going to – eventually go on a run here so i don't know if they're going to but um this division looked on paper a lot more competitive between the top four teams than it has been so far anyway uh with the cardinals missing so much time the brewers you know not playing all that well same for the reds so yeah it's been weird yeah i kind of expect a run at some point from the reds yeah this it, we like it it feels like baseball's been going on for a while but we, we forget it's only a month into the season really and like this could totally change in just a couple of weeks. And I, I think we're all kind of expecting every other team to kind of catch up with the Cubs a little bit here in these next few weeks. So hopefully they can get some distance now and just kind of fight them off till the end. Cause they're, they're going to be there. The Reds, the Cardinals, probably the Brewers too. They'll, they'll find a way to make it tough. But I think that's, uh, that's all I had for you guys. 
that's all I got for you guys, too. It was a good conversation having Locked On Cubs talking to Locked On Sox. So, you see, we can live in the same city and get along. We have a civil conversation with the, the folks across the, uh, the across the river, I guess. What's the, what's the, what's the, the state street? Madison. Madison. Madison is the device. Madison. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. Car that's breaking down when I go north of it. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know anything about that, man. That's weird. Get <laughs> yeah, that checked out. But yeah, we could have a civil conversation with you guys because it's a good time when we have great baseball like we had this weekend. I know right. it was a little bit better on our side than yours, but we got three more left at guaranteed rate to end the regular season. So Hopefully by that time. Hopefully both teams have clinched something. Exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm not ready. Yeah. I don't want no part of that. It's Absolutely better. not. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely I, would want anything of like a Cubs have to beat the Cardinals, as you were saying, yeah. for the division or the White Sox. I think the White Sox are so clear of the eighth or ninth place team in the AL, so they're fine. But the White Sox, you know, trying to get into the first or second slot so they don't have to face the first or second team uh, in the whole AL would be better for them. And that time we'll be just relaxed and everybody will be like, okay, we're cool. We already got a playoff spot set. And these games are just going to be for fun. We're just going to throw our bums out there for getting ready for the playoff. Yeah, man. We'll be talking playoff lineups. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the only thing that the only thing that could be worse than uh, both teams trying to get a playoff spot in that series would be one team vying for a playoff spot, but the other team being eliminated. Ugh. That would be just absolutely impossible to stand. I, I don't live in Chicago, but I assume it would be uh, extremely difficult for White Sox fans if they were trying to finally grab a playoff spot and you know a, a, an eliminated Cubs team came in and swept them. Oh, God, uh, Ryan. <laughs> I, I think something would have gone incredibly wrong for one of the two teams to be out of it, I think, at that point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, but hopefully we, let's do it again, huh? After that series or maybe sometime in between. Yeah, let's definitely have this uh, crosstown uh, conversation once again. I had fun, guys. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That will do it here for today's episode of Locked on Cubs. Thanks again for Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill for jumping on the podcast with myself and Ryan. It's always fun when we can do these crossover episodes, but especially now that we have a White Sox show with guys like uh, Herb and Chris. Obviously, it's awesome to sit down with these guys who know plenty about baseball, but also plenty about the White Sox and Cubs. It was fun to chat with them. Make sure you're following them on Twitter at the, I think it's Locked on White Sox on Twitter. Make sure you're following Herb and Chris there as well. Um, but fun conversation, not necessarily a fun weekend of baseball if you're a Cubs fan, but it was a fun it was a fun series at least to see where the White Sox were, see where the Cubs are, see where these teams are trending. But as we talked about on this series or this previous recap podcast here, the Cubs do have some favorable matchups coming up. Hopefully they can take advantage of that, get themselves on the right path towards winning. And as Ryan talked about, they really just need one big run, you know, where they can kind of win maybe 10 of their 14 games or so on and just kind of solidify where they're at in those standings with just about a month or so left before the season kind of ends. So uh, let's hope they can do that against some of these bad teams because the, the National League Central is going to get caught up with the Cubs here eventually. These teams are talented and we're going to see what happens from there. But make sure you're checking out our episode. We'll have another one coming out here recapping this series with the Tigers. Uh, I think Ryan will be back on the podcast. I think Wednesdays when we've got another show planned, so we'll probably recap some of this Tiger series then, preview the upcoming series from there, and just kind of uh, hope for some better baseball because it's been a rough week or so for Cubs fans. But the good news is the Cubs 
despite all of these negative things happening, still have a very good chance to make the postseason, still very much in the hunt, still lead this division. Keep those things, you know, in mind as the Cubs continue to struggle here if they do. The, eventually, guys like Javi Baez, once Chris Bryant comes back and is healthy, these guys are going to hit. This team is too good not to, and hopefully in a shorter season, we can see them kind of get another run and take it to the next level and hopefully kind of solidify the postseason standings. But with that, make sure you subscribe to Lockdown Cubs and whatever podcast app you use, whether it's Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn app, Stitcher, anywhere you can find us, make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review, and make sure you're checking out the latest episode of Lockdown MLB hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan just after this episode of Lockdown Cubs. And then make sure you follow the Lockdown White Sox, guys. Again, that's at Lockdown White Sox. You follow Chris Tannehill on Twitter at Chris Tannehill and then Herb Lawrence. You can follow him at E C N E R W A L 23. Once again, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to pronounce that herb. Uh, but <laughs> with that, thanks again for the lockdown. White Sox guys are coming on. It was a super fun time. We'll have to do that towards the end of the season. And hopefully, when we do meet again, it isn't one team eliminating the other and both teams are just excited to be in the postseason. But with that, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, go Cubs. <laughs>